0: Chapter 1, verse 9. May the Lord grant us ears to hear what the Spirit says to His church. Who hath saved us, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word to our hearts this evening. <clears throat> now, God's glory in His gracious salvation of sinners is the theme of the Bible. As His people, we have undertaken a study of this great saving grace. And we began our study some weeks ago by asking two questions. Who is God and what has He done to save sinners? We have to answer those questions. Who is God and what has He done to save sinners? Now, to understand this clearly, we must first understand who God is according to the infallible revelation of God's Holy Word. And it declares to us That our Creator is the Lord God Omnipotent. The Lord God Almighty. Because He is the only true God, we bow before His absolute sovereignty. As we spent two weeks, which uh, was really an extremely brief look, because the Bible is filled with God's glorious sovereign rule over all things, But as we spent those two brief weeks doing something of a survey of some of the more important passages dealing with God's rule, we came to define His sovereignty this way. God's sovereignty is His absolute control over the entire created order. People, places, things, and events according to His eternal purpose. And we saw that amply, amply illustrated in the Holy Word. So having considered the first question and answered it according to God's uh, immutable truth, we began answering the second question by considering who man is. We have a good glimpse of God and we can come to the Word of God and see who men are in that light. This led us to consider the Bible's testimony concerning the deep, devastating effect of sin upon man, which was inherited from Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. We spent five weeks looking at man and his condition. Sin's corruption has pervaded every part of man and has permeated every aspect of man's being, the body soul, and mind, all of man. Now, we call the corruption and the guilt that have infected man's nature since the fall original sin. Sin and death passed upon all men because of Adam's transgression in the garden. And all of Adam's posterity are born with sinful and corrupt hearts. They sin because it is their nature to sin. And we call this radical depravity. By this, we do not mean that every sinner is as outwardly wicked as he can possibly be. The Bible teaches that sin has stained every part of man. The word radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. Man, down to the very core of his being, is corrupted by sin. Now, in this depraved condition, sinful man can and will do nothing toward saving himself. This is because his will is in bondage to his corrupt nature. Now, <clears throat> that's the best I can do on a five-week summary. Since we have heard the Bible's testimony to God's absolute sovereignty and to man's radical depravity, we've laid the foundation for answering the question, what has God done to save sinners? We understand that God is holy, righteous, and Sovereign, and man is wicked, sinful, and in desperate need of help. Desperate need of life. Now, the Bible reveals the story of Almighty God's wonderful work saving sinners. Now, let's consider together the who, the how, and the what of God's saving grace once again. We also considered this at the very beginning of our study. It's important to remind ourselves now as we come in to answer the second question, what has God done for saving sinners? When someone wants to accomplish any goal or resolve a problem, he must carefully consider what he wants to do and how he wants to accomplish it. In other words, an agent who wants to accomplish a a specific goal must set about using proper means to do so. The agent in salvation of sinners is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead are vitally involved in the redemption of God's people and they are vitally and eternally united in the purpose of saving them. While we say that each of them has a role, it isn't something that is separated or at cross-purposes with the other persons of the Godhead. Within the nature of the one God, there are three eternal uh, eternal persons. The Father, the Son... And the Holy Ghost. And they are united, not only in essence, but in their infinitely wise and eternal counsels. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one working together with different aspects of the salvation of God's people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The means of salvation are as follows: When we look at the scriptures carefully, number one, the Father has purposed salvation. Number two, the Son has accomplished salvation, and number three, the Spirit applies salvation. Now, when I say that again, there is no radical cleavage between what they're doing. It isn't when we say that the Father purposed salvation. We're not saying that He did something outside of His eternal counsels with the Father and the Son, it is just that the Scriptures usually attribute uh, this glorious subject of purposing salvation to the Father. We know that the Son became incarnate. The Holy Spirit did not become incarnate. The Father did not become incarnate. The Son became man for the purpose of saving God's people. And the Holy Spirit is the one who applies this gracious and glorious salvation, as we'll see much further down the line. Now, they're all agreed and one in purpose in this great, holy, and eternal goal of redeeming God's people. Now, we see this explicitly spelled out in the Word of God. Scripture reveals that there is perfect unity among the members of the Godhead and that each of the glorious persons has his role and is perfectly accomplishing it. Or in the case of Christ's dying upon the cross, has perfectly accomplished it. So we begin our study this evening taking up a new portion of our study in the doctrine of grace. Having looked at God and his sovereignty... Looked at man and his depravity, we now come to God and his purpose in saving sinful men. So tonight, beginning with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we want to consider the author of salvation. The author of salvation. The basis of salvation. And then what I would refer to as the time of salvation. So let's look at the author of salvation for a few moments. You'll notice that Paul is writing here in his second epistle to Timothy. Apparently, because of the great persecution that the church faced at that time, and because Paul himself had suffered so very greatly, we surmise that uh, Timothy had something of a problem with fear. Paul mentions this several times. And he tells Timothy... In verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou, here is the older saint encouraging his son in the faith. He's strengthening and encouraging him with eternal truth. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, don't be fearful. When we look and see what happens to men at the hands of wicked tormentors, we can become very, very fearful. But I know that there is something that gives us strength to face these things. And it's interesting at this particular point what Paul turns to to encourage Timothy. What he says to him is... Be thou a partaker of the, the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us. This is something that they've experienced, Paul and Timothy, and this obviously applies to all of the Lord's children that have lived and experienced His grace, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Here is Paul's wise and inspired encouragement for Timothy. Take heart. God has saved us. He saved you, Timothy. He saved me. And that salvation came with His blessed and holy calling. At that holy calling, His infinitely wise and merciful Calling wasn't according to our works. wasn't according to to me, Timothy, and what I've been able to do, or you, and what you will have done or will do. It's got nothing to do with that. And then he fences it up. The Holy Spirit inspires him to use words that make it as plain as possible that the salvation that they have is in no way dependent upon men. Timothy, whatever they do to you, And whatsoever things they've done to me, and what they may do to me before this is all over, withers and dissolves in the face of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Be strong. Be of a good courage. Why? Because He hath saved us and called us with a great and glorious calling. It's holy. And friend, it wasn't because of you or because of me, and what we could do. It was all according to His own purpose. To His own purpose and grace. According to the construction in the Greek there, the word grace is also governed by this idea of His own. What Paul is actually saying is God's own purpose and God's own grace. The very way he chose to put the words together is to utterly demolish man and his works as the basis for salvation. Timothy, this glorious salvation, this wonderful redemption that we have in Christ, it's ours And it didn't depend on our goodness. It is all by God's wonderful purpose and His own grace. And it was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, what a wonderful encouragement. No matter how flimsy our flesh may be, Timothy, God has given us something eternal that is ours and cannot be lost, because God gave it to us in Christ before the world began. Now, I draw your attention to the word purpose. That's what we want to consider this evening. That's our main point. God's purpose. While salvation is attributed to all the members of the Godhead, the purpose of salvation is usually attributed to the Father. And we'll see that in a few more verses. <clears throat> but I say that <clears throat> to set before us that here is the Father giving salvation in the Son before the world began. There it is. <clears throat> so the author of salvation is God, and as we will see specifically, uh, several other passages will show us that the Father is the one that is attributed with this wonderful life-giving purpose. So, we come to the basis of salvation. And I'm convinced, to the very core of my being, that many people do not properly understand the doctrine of salvation, and many disagree with our understanding of grace, because when they study, they do not begin at the beginning. Let's be honest. When most of us think of salvation, we think of what Christ accomplished for us at the cross and that being made real to our minds and our hearts at some time in the past. So we get stuck in history, which we as historical creatures are wont to do. But our experience of salvation as we consider it, begins with the Spirit-led understanding and conviction of our sinfulness accompanied by a Spirit-led understanding of God's pardoning mercies through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is why our thinking is understandably focused on the cross. That's why so many of our great hymns are focused on the cross. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Paul says it in Galatians that He glories in the cross. There's nothing wrong with this. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying that very often, because of our uh, cross-centricity, if I can say it that way, it's easy for us to stay locked in history regarding the doctrine of salvation and our personal experiences. But the cross is the accomplishment in history of our salvation by Jesus Christ. And the clear testimony of Scripture is that our salvation began long before we see it manifested on the cross of Calvary. And the verse before us tells us that. This great and grand, this glorious and holy and pure salvation that we have in Christ began when God gave it to us before the foundation of the world. This is Paul's comfort to a a perhaps flagging Timothy. And brethren, it should be our comfort. Properly understood, brethren, this isn't grounds you want to go fight with someone about. You just want to stand and praise God for it. Now, we often do not search out what the Bible tells us that God actually planned to do. Now, I, I know that the exception is out there somewhere. But at least in my limited experience through all the years of wrestling through the issues before us of God's sovereign purpose, His glorious grace, predestination, election, and all of these issues. When I sat down and talked with those who disagreed with us, I've never got a positive response, I've never gotten a positive response to this question. Can you tell me what God's purpose in salvation is? What's His purpose? Where would you go in the Bible to show me his purpose. Now, at this particular point, no one has ever taken the Bible and opened it up and said, right here or right there. And normally I get some blank stares at that point, and maybe some other questions or argumentation that moves in a different direction, and I go, "No, let's don't let's don't move from here. What does the Bible say that God planned to do?" Now, if we can If we can ascertain that from God's Word, then we ought to be able to fill in the rest of the blanks as we see what flows from that purpose. And I think that's very fair. Now, let's consider, and I'm not doing an exposition of this particular passage tonight as such, But let's consider the following. In Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, from what we've read, the first thing we can conclude that's said very plainly here is that salvation is because of God's calling. Right? Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. And when Paul uses the word in Greek for calling, it's translated called there in English. The vast majority at the time He is talking about God's sovereign call of salvation. So, salvation here is because of God's calling. Second thing to notice is that salvation is not according to our works. Now, that is emphatic, and it is clearly Paul's intent. This is what he's conveying. This salvation, Timothy, that is our undergirding, no matter what we face, is not built on flimsy flesh. It is not built on our limitations. It is not built on our holiness. It is not built on how well we perform before God. It is not according to our works, but according to His. His, His own purpose. And that's the next thing we want to see. That's the third thing to recognize, that salvation is according to God's own purpose. So we have to begin at the beginning. God clearly has a purpose in salvation. It's something that Paul appeals to, right here, to encourage and strengthen Timothy's heart. And may we take great encouragement from it as well. It's according to His own purpose and His own grace. That's the fourth thing to recognize, is that His purpose is tied directly together with grace. And all of that uh, is tied to salvation. And then finally, the fifth thing to recognize is that salvation is given in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the world began. Before eternal time, times eternal. Now, I'm not attempting to prove any of those particular things right now. Not going to proof text all that. Just say, take the verse, pray through it. It says much more than what I've simply said before you right now. But Paul appeals to the purpose of God. And that is the very root of of this glorious salvation that he and Timothy are to rejoice in and find strength in. And that's given to them graciously in Christ before the foundation of the world. Whatever your theology is, I don't think you can escape that this is what's being said here. You may have to redefine some terms uh, to come to a different conclusion, but we press on for the moment. Let's consider then Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 <clears throat> now let me add this word purpose it comes from a Greek word which means plan resolve will the whole idea of, of a will and a design uh, and a plan means design God designed something here what did he design the verb form, and I, th- I think this is fascinating, the verb form of this particular word from which the, the noun here is taken originally meant to set before oneself. Or that's one meaning of it. To set before oneself. And the idea is of a person setting a plan of action before himself. Uh, <clears throat> this presupposes the person's considering a goal. You think... You plan. You have a goal. To reach that goal, there are steps that you must think through well, or perhaps not so well, but you still have to think through to get to that goal. That's, that was the idea of the verb. Taking it, sitting in front of you, and considering it. Considering the, the, the course of conduct and the de- 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 determination to carry it through. Now, as such, this, this word does not refer to an impotent wish. Well, I'd like to do this. Well, I hope I can do this. That's not the idea. The idea is envisioning the goal and the steps to go with it. <clears throat> and as it is used in Scripture, it points to a certain immutable, unbreakable decree. The eternal sovereign Of the universe. The Lord God Omnipotent has designed. He has planned something. And he will not fail in it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ. By the way, I have to stop here and say this before I go on. Paul has this incredible inspired ability to uh, start in eternity and, and land right in history. And then sometimes he'll start in eternity, go right to history, and then shoot right out to eternity again. It's tremendous. He's caught up with the glories of a God who in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power has purposed to do something. And he brings it to pass. And here he is glorying. Paul is not in, in, a, um, in a fit of, of throwing out some dry doctrine right now. He is in a doxology. He is praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for these things. Before the foundation of the world, He purposed something. So that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in Him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him. And there it is. The purpose of Him who worked all things after the counsel, or worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. What a marvelous passage. This is is wonderful. Now again... Let's just look at several things that are right here on the surface. I'm not going to do a a detailed exposition of all of this. That in itself would be a wonderful series of messages. For this evening, we're looking at the word purpose. What's it tied to here in this passage? What is God's purpose? Even though the mysteries of God's decrees and counsels are hidden to us on on one hand, we don't know all the details and all that he's doing and what he's all planned to do, but we can see what He's revealed. And he's telling us something now. He works all things according to the counsel, the counsel of his own will. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit had an eternal counsel to do something. Well, what do we see unfolded before us here in this passage? Well, Paul begins by praising. This is, brethren, this is this is not uh, this is not dusty stuff here. This is food for the soul. This should never be. Something that uh, has the smell of mothballs to it. Uh, th- this is glory. This is the. This is our God and His infinitely wise purpose, and, and that's what's got Paul's heart. He's stirred up. Blessed. Don't get caught in the. the beautiful old English. You know we're not, we're not reading something poetic. We're hearing someone's heart exploding in praise. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise our Father who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So number one, the first thing we want to see here is that this issue of salvation in this passage is all tied to the Father blessing us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Does that sound familiar? That's what we just read in 2 Timothy 1, nine. It said it was in Christ. And here he's saying it again. It's in Christ. All right. The second thing to see is that the salvation is because the Father hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Look at what he says carefully. Verse 4, according as he, that's the Father, hath chosen us, notice subject of the sentence, he, hath chosen, that's the verb, us, that's the direct object, the receivers of the action. In Him. In Christ. It's all in Christ again. Before the foundation of the world. And we've got something else that he's just said in the other passage. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God's purpose is to make sinners holy. And it is a gracious and glorious and loving purpose. Now, notice in verse 5 it says salvation is because the father has predestinated us unto adoption by Christ now please whatever your theology is you have to look at verse 5 and realize that the word predestination is not a word that was put there by John Calvin he didn't put he didn't put that in there right. however you define it however you understand it friends It is a Holy Ghost-inspired word. This is an infallible term because inspired of God's Spirit. Yes, it was in the language of the Greeks, but it was a word with a specific meaning, which we'll get to in uh, another of our studies. But God, by the power of the Spirit, breathed on Paul, and Paul wrote that. Paul was a predestinarian regardless of how you understand that. This is an infallible truth. And it is an immutable truth. So, in this issue of salvation, it says, uh, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, that's another way of talking about our salvation, brought into the family of God, By Jesus Christ. All three verses. In Christ, in Christ, by Christ. It's all of Christ. All of grace. Also, this salvation is the good pleasure of the Father's will. Verse 5 again at the end of it, it says, having uh, predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. The word will speaks of design. The word will speaks of plan, purpose. To the praise of the glory of His grace. There's the purpose. That's ultimately what it's coming to. God has chosen some sinners, brought them into His family, and He will receive all of the glory because of His grace to them. And that's exactly what Paul was encouraging Timothy with. This salvation is according to grace. It's not according to your works, Timothy. Even though I'm enduring great persecution and great sufferings, Timothy, and you may too, we have a great hope. We have a gift from God not based on us, but on His great purpose. And this purpose is being unfolded right here before our eyes. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us He, the subject of the sentence, hath made, the verb, us. We receive the action. Accepted in the beloved. How then are sinners made acceptable to God? Not by anything they do. It's by what He does. He hath made them acceptable in Christ. Why? How? It was His purpose. It was all in Christ. He goes further to unfold this glorious truth. Verse 7, in whom? Meaning in Christ the Beloved. We have redemption through His blood. We've been bought. We've been purchased. Bought back. Released by payment of a ransom through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And do you hear how often this word grace keeps coming into this, this whole salvation thing? it keeps being tied to these ideas of chosen and predestination and the Father's will. Now, let's let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 11, just for time's sake. We're almost out of time this evening. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, that's our salvation, another way of speaking of our salvation, being predestinated. How is it that we have obtained our inheritance? Brethren, no one here has an eraser big enough to erase the word that was inspired of the Spirit of God. Being predestined. Being predestinated according to the purpose. Purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. (coughs) The word purpose, this will, this design, is by the Father. And that's what's told us plainly here. Blessed be God. Blessed be the Father of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. And He has purposed. He has purposed. Children, these are very important passages. You want to ask your mom and daddy lots of questions about these. These are good ones. These are vital because we're hearing the purpose of God set before us. It has to do with the salvation of sinners. It has to do with God predestining their inheritance and calling them to Himself. That word call is in there again. He's called them. He's chosen them and then He calls them. They're adopted into His family. They have all of this because of the glorious accomplishing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Alright, let's turn to Romans 8.28. as far as we'll be able to go this evening. Romans 8.28 <clears throat> passage well known to us. <sighs> Chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to what? His purpose. God has a purpose. He's going to do something. Right? And He's doing it. And he's going to finish it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Those words keep showing up every time that purpose word keeps showing up. To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them He also glorified. And look, look what happens. Paul does the same thing in reverse what he had in, in uh, Ephesians. He says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then he explodes once again into praise of his God. He can't help it. He says, Who can condemn us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword... He's doing to the Romans what he did to Timothy over there, isn't he? It's the same thing. He's encouraging their hearts with what? A salvation that has been purposed before the foundation of the world. And the very focus of it hits us in this passage. Paul brings it down and he says it this way. "...for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate." He predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Conformed to the image of His Son. That's His purpose. And He's going to get all the glory and the grace, all the praise for it, because of His grace. This is what He said there in Ephesians. "...He will receive all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. It's one of the reasons I love that hymn. All glory, law, and honor to thee. And that's the way it ought to be. Because it isn't our law keeping. It isn't how well we've done. It isn't based in what we do. And it isn't based in what God knew we were going to do. It doesn't say that in any one of these passages. It says it's based in what He knew He was going to do. Because it's all about His purpose. This is what it's saying. All things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. It isn't true about everyone. And it should make us tremble before Him. And it should make us praise Him with all of our hearts. Because properly properly understood, the man, the woman, the child who has been saved can only look up into the heavens and say, why me? Why me? See, that's why it will be to the praise and glory of His grace. That's what we'll say. I don't understand this. But I praise You. You fenced in my life to bring me to the point of seeing my sins and bringing me to Your glorious Gospel and showing me that the only hope I have is Christ, the resurrected Lord of glory. I praise You. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. I mean, even Wesley... he understood that God did it. Even though he had to get in there, he and his brother had to get in there, do everything they could to come up with uh, a salvation that man at least had a smidgen in. They had to say, I know I was lost and I know that you opened my heart. Now, I could have said no if I wanted to. But you did it. And, And... it's all, aw- if we had a thousand tongues, we would never be able to praise God enough for this. Brethren, let me urge you, let me just say, as an elder, don't spend great deals of time getting into bloody battles with people over this doctrine. Say to them, I will be happy, I will be overjoyed to tell you. Why I believe what I believe. Because I want any and everyone who sees it to do what Paul does here and encourages us to do. To praise and glorify. Now, I'm going to defend that truth. And I'll stand and say this is what it says. But friend, every time Paul brings it up, it's invariably in the context of giving praise and glory and thanksgiving. It's a doctrine of joy. Joy. It is a doctrine of worship. Brethren, I I tell you with all of my heart, I mean this. The Spirit of God opens this up to your heart and your soul. You won't have to go out and buy a book on how to worship. I used to work in a bookstore. and I, I sold books on... You know, people were all, all the time looking for books on how to worship. Now, I'm not talking about the doctrine of what the, the Scripture calls us to and the things we should or shouldn't do. And we might have to study that in great detail. But brethren, as far as your heart just being ignited to praise the living God, it's right here. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Well, His purpose here is connected to His foreknowledge. That's a word we'll look at here in a few weeks. His purpose is connected to predestination. His purpose is to conform those who are being called to the image of Jesus Christ. And His purpose is that He has predestinated some and those that have been predestined. He calls them, justifies them, glorifies them in His work of conforming them to Christ. God's purpose, according to just three passages, there are others, we've not gotten to them, but according to these three passages, God's purpose, in in not one of these passages, says His purpose was to save every single individual past, present, and future. It doesn't say that. When you come to every passage regarding His Purpose. They speak of predestination, which is particular. It is God's choosing. And that's why I praise Him. Well, I said we'd talk about the time of salvation, and let me simply close this evening by saying this. As we saw in Timothy, Second Timothy chapter one verse nine and Ephesians chapter one, it was before the foundation of the world. Yes, you and I experience the outworking of God's purpose in history. That's true. And for us it began back in this year, or back at that time, or when brother so and so was preaching this But when I was reading the Scriptures and this came home to me. We can look at all those historical things that happened to us. And we say, ah, that's where my salvation began. But when we come to God's Word, we realize that that very moment, that very period, that time when He met us and brought us to see His glory in Christ, that was something He gave us before the foundation of the world. And He put our feet in the path until the day came when we met Christ. Let's pray. O Christ in heaven, Lord, we cannot but praise You. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God, we praise your name. We praise your name that you could love sinners such as we and purpose predestined to adopt us and make us your holy children. All our days we will say, Amazing Grace, amazing Grace. How sweet the sound! saved a wretch like me. Now, Father, burn these truths into your children's hearts. I can convince no man of these things, but your word and your spirit can and do. Do thy great work, O head of the church. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen.